Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome back to 32 Fans in 32 Days. Happy Friday. Today we have a Friday doubleheader for you. We're going to the AFC East. We already covered Akiva's Genoless Jets. And today we're going to look at both the 22nd ranked Buffalo Bills and the 20th ranked Miami Dolphins. Two teams who, especially with Tom Brady possibly missing a quarter of the season, maybe have their eyes on jumping back into the playoffs for the first time in a while. Well, I don't remember doing the Patriots podcast yet, but uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully it's next. Hopefully it's like 18th or something. So, I mean, you hate the Patriots the most as a Jets fan now, but like that hasn't always been the case, right? Like when you were like 10, weren't the, like the Dolphins your biggest rival? I mean, the Dolphins are repulsive. Yeah. In general, like I know this sounds crazy, but I really hate the Dolphins just as much, if not more than the Patriots, because Florida is a completely soulless place uh, yeah. in general. You know, the sports fans there are the nicest term I can think of is hot garbage. Uh, and like... <laughs> Literally, like you could walk in Florida and in the summer, that garbage is really hot, really hot and smelly. Like South Florida is like a little bit like San Diego, like a place where sports completely go to die. It makes L.A. look like Green Bay. And I think the Dolphins fans in general are just like so not knowledgeable. I was I was in Florida for a couple weeks recently. Front page of the newspaper was talking about how Sue is the best defensive lineman in the NFL. And like it didn't mention that this was an NFL where J.J. Watt didn't exist. So I have to assume they were including J.J. Watt. And he literally doesn't even get mentioned. It, it said he's probably he's probably or possibly the best defensive. Like, it doesn't matter. It, he's not. Well, even, if you want to say D tackle, fine. Yeah, you know, it's a defensive position, which okay. probably means the writer doesn't even know the, the difference. They probably yeah. thought like, oh, if I say lineman, it's excluding yeah. J.J. Watt. Even if he said a human being, I'd say, OK, he's excluding Watt. But <laughs> what's the explanation for why people in, in Florida are such big college football fans? And is that just like because it's in the South and they have that influence? I think so. I think so. Or they went to Miami or they went to Tallahassee or Gainesville. Like, that's actually legitimate. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. But yeah, but I mean, they have serious fans. I mean, all across the state. It's, right. I mean, the Dolphins have 15,000 serious fans. They're like an NHL team, you know. And there's, a, and there's an NHL team there also, which is insane. Right. They have 15 serious fans. <laughs> yeah. You'd have a tough time doing a Florida Panthers uh, preview podcast. We would. I mean, listen, we'll do one, obviously, when we do 30 yeah. fans and 30 icy days. Yeah. But I, the Florida Panthers read it. You know, that we've been getting people for the NFL Reddits. I don't know how many. What percentage of people in Florida have ever ice skated? It's a very good question. I mean, how many, what, how many the rinks are there in, in the state? There's no outdoor rinks, obviously. You know, a lot of Floridians are from New York, so I'd say all of them have ice skated. Well, Palm Beach County and South. But there's the rest of that state. <laughs> I, I don't think there's so many New Yorkers in that part of the state. I don't think they tolerate your kind. I say your kind because I'm from Minnesota, of course. Okay. <laughs> what do you mean, you people? On that note, let's jump right into it. And I think first we're going to go to the 22nd ranked Buffalo Bills. Let's do it. All right, Akiva, now let's turn to the Bills. Uh, you know, we've covered a lot of sad sack franchises thus far. <laughs> but but, let, but let's remember, the Bills have not made the playoffs this millennium. 
The last time the Bills were on a postseason field was when Kevin Dyson and Frank Wycheck were miracling all over the Music City. And the Bills haven't even been 500 for a decade until last year, when in Doug Marone's second season, they inched up to 9-7 and seven, thanks to a meaningless win against the Patriots in Week 17. But, um, but before that, they did have you know, a, a pretty decent season. They were 8-7. You know, and seven. They had a couple meaningful wins against the Packers and the Lions. And so it looked like Doug Marone had his team headed in the right direction, right? Well, the moment he discovered a loophole in his contract that could allow him to bolt out of Buffalo, he was gone. And while it didn't work out very well for Marone personally, who's now a backup uh, coach somewhere, I think he's in Tampa, is that right? I think he's in Jacksonville. Oh, yeah, whatever. He's somewhere in Florida. Anyways, <laughs> but it's left the Bills in a familiar position, the eighth head coach since their last playoff appearance, and still no quarterback. Here to talk about the Bills is Dale Hodge. Dale, how are you doing? How are you? Uh, we are pretty good. So, uh, Kiva, i got to say, Dale's probably our, our smartest guest thus far. In real life, he's a doctor. In training, in training, I'm right. still... Right. <laughs> in training. Wait, Akiva, didn't you have a question about a class you take in medical school? Yeah, how's your bedside manner? Uh, <laughs> right at the moment, I'm very poor because I'm, I'm, I'm in the MD-PhD program, so I'm actually doing research right now on breast cancer, so I haven't seen patients in about three years. <laughs> Uh, Okay, well, back to the Bills. So, you know, Akiva and I have ranked the Bills 21st in our preseason power rankings. And do you think that ranking is fair? Do you think it's too high, too low? That is way too low. That is way too low. Come on now. If 16 is mid-range, I'll put the Bills mid-range. I mean, I think they have one of the best rosters probably in the past 15 years since they've made the playoffs. And they're really just a, a quarterback away. They're an average quarterback away from making the playoffs, maybe even winning the wild card. So I, I do not agree that they're 21. I think that they're a little higher than that. Solid at running back. Barring injuries, we have LaShawn McCoy, Bryce Brown, Fred Jackson, Carlos Williams. Obviously, our feature back will be McCoy. He's going to be the workhorse. So we're going to give him 250, 300 carries this season. So And we're really wide, we're really deep at wide receiver. we got Robert Woods, got Sammy Watkins, Percy Harvin. Like I said, we just need an average quarterback, and I think we'll be fine. Our defense is well, top four last year and top four, top five the year before that. So, like I said, one quarterback away. Dale, I'm a Jets fan, and I'm certainly very familiar with Rex Ryan's work. You know, he's really never put together, even when they had two AFC Championship uh, game teams in a row, you know, with basically five pro bowlers on the offensive line leading the way. He's really never built an offense. And like you said, you have a few good receivers. Really, the strength of the team is in the skill position players at running back and receiver. How confident are you in the general idea of a Rex Ryan team? And Rex, like, barely knew the names of the players on offense in the first few seasons he was on the Jets. Uh, like, how confident are you in Rex putting together some sort of, like, cohesive unit on offense? Yeah, you know, Rex will, will help bolster our defense. But Greg Roman did a great job in the first couple seasons at San Fran. And, you know, I think he's got similar elements here. He's got a mobile quarterback. He's got a backfield that's deep. You know, he had Frank Gore there. He's got LaShawn McCoy here. Got wideouts. And you got some really great tight ends, too. So I think he's going to plan around a couple of double tight end sets, which would be, you know, perfect with our, our roster. So I don't think Rex really has a huge influence on the offense so much as Greg Roman does. Even if Rex is completely keeping his hands free, you know, I guess we really need to start by talking about the quarterback situation. Why don't you give us the uh, up-to-the-minute uh, status of the quarterback situation, which we've discussed actually randomly in a bunch of different podcasts, the uh, Bills QB situation. You know, the three-headed monster between Matt Castle, E.J. Manuel, <laughs> and Tyra Taylor. And uh, I think regular listeners will know that I have a strong opinion 
on the matter. But what's your opinion? I really, really was pulling for EJ to get his act together so that he could uh, take the helm, but I don't think it's there. I just watched a preseason game against the Browns, and you know he was able to mount the drive at the end, but it wasn't really pretty. To be honest, I think that's me, Tyrod Taylor, and uh, and, and Castle as the backup. Tyrod Taylor again fits fits in with Greg Roman's offense. He's very mobile. He runs the read option very well. I think that it'll be perfect for what Greg Roman wants to run. Matt Castle is a veteran. He's a journeyman. He's there in the case of an emergency. Uh, and EJ, I think, will be riding the bench. Yeah, I can tell you, I saw Matt Castle last year. The in case of emergency is in case you want to go six and ten at best. <laughs> I don't think we've gone six and ten in the past couple of years. Oh, we've gone seven and nine. Like, it can't get much worse than that. Yeah, it's funny. Bills fans loved Kyle Orton last year. They were like devastated when he when he retired. Well, I mean, he was he was consistent. He wasn't he was a game manager. I'll put it that way. He wasn't anything that was special or flashy, but you can count on solid average play from him, and that's all I really needed. Said he's not flashy. You can expect solid average play. Um, I once played poker against him. In Las Vegas, and I thought the fact that he was playing on like a one-two no limit table or two-five or whatever, like a a low roller, like I was at, I thought you know for a starting NFL quarterback that was shockingly low. Played poker the way he plays quarterback, you know, he was very conservative. He he wasn't going to excite you, but wasn't going to be a complete disaster either. Exactly, and that's all. We, at that point, that's all we really needed someone that wasn't just going to be like a dumpster fire. Yeah. Although this was back in his neckbeard days in Denver, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he had the uh, from uh, Napoleon Dynamite last year. It was pretty nice. Yeah, he did. You sounded like you were pretty big on a lot of the targets they have here, but but I'm going to play devil's advocate. First of all, let's start with LaShawn McCoy. First of all, the last couple of years he hasn't been as good as the previous couple of years, and that was considering the fact that Philadelphia was considered to have one of the one or two best offensive lines in the league, and of course he was playing with a very dynamic passing game, and so it just seems to me that. That if Bills fans are expecting him to be, you know, the, the, the Pro Bowl caliber LaShawn McCoy they saw in Philadelphia, they're setting themselves up for disappointment. The offensive line, left tackle Cordy Glenn is solid, and Eric Wood is pretty, is okay, the center. But the rest of this line was bad last year. Brought in two new guards. One of them is a rookie, and the other one is Richie Incognito, who hasn't played football in like a year and a half. He also might be a racist asshole, but, you know. <laughs> they do have the names, for sure, but, you know, they had that last year with C.J. Spiller, who always had big play potential, even more than McCoy, probably, although he was more injury-prone. And, you know, Fred Jackson, they've, they've had for a while, and he's been solid, although he's, like, 34 now or whatever. Is there a reason why the running game is going to be much better than last year, or you think that it can just be similar, but maybe with McCoy being a healthier version of Spiller? I think McCoy, like you said, is a healthier version of but he's been consistently putting up numbers, even in 1,300 yards. He's a good back. I mean, he's still averaging four yards a carry, so I don't think that he's past his prime. He's in the middle of his prime right now, and I think it's a good time to pick him up. CJ couldn't really do very much. I mean, he had a, it was a flash in the pan here and there, but nothing really solid, definitely not consistent. Fred Jackson is injury-prone and is getting up there in age, but again, when he he's there, he's pretty solid. We got Carlos Williams, rookie, but looked pretty decent in the first game. And Bryce Brown, who was LaShawn McCoy's backup from Philly, you know, he's all right. So we're deep at running back. I'm not too worried about that. In terms of the offense and line, you're right, Incognito hasn't played in a year and a half or two years. But, you know, I think he's still in good form. He was a pro bowler before. The new guard, uh, John Miller, again, he's a rookie, but he looks pretty decent. He's he's good enough, I'll put it that way. He's un, he's unproven. So I think we'll have a decent enough line. Nothing close to what McCoy had in Philadelphia, but I think good enough to to do what we need to do. This is a question that Akiva loves to ask, but I'm just going to ask it here. If this team had an average quarterback, you know, if this team had Alex Smith at quarterback, well, you know, what would their record be this year? 10-6. and six. 
Okay. You know, not a Super Bowl contender, but a definite playoff team, you think? Yeah, and that's all we're looking at. <laughs> at this point, that's all Buffalo needs, just to get back into the playoffs. I mean, they haven't been in the playoffs since I was a junior in high school. <laughs> so, and only three now, if people don't know. <laughs> it's been a while, put it that way. Uh, it's been since high school, and if anything gets back in the playoffs, you know, it's it would be phenomenal. And like I said, it's it's the team has gotten pretty, has improved a lot. It's just, the main problem, I think, is that we're in the division of the Patriots, so it's always difficult to get out. Let's switch to the defensive side of the ball, Dale. Uh, you know, Rex Ryan's specialty, and really was the Bills' specialty uh, for the last few seasons. And I guess the core is, you know, Kevin Williams, Marcel Darius, and the defensive line, and really a solid pair of corners, right, and Stephen Gilmore and Lotus McKelvin. But middle linebackers and the safeties is a little shakier. So how do you see that playing out? The area that I would, I would probably be most concerned about, I would say probably the safety play. Yeah, I'm not too worried about the linebackers, actually. And we did have uh, an injury recently. We, we lost uh, Ty Powell. But, you know, I, I still think we, we have a solid linebacker core. We got a solid front four. I think we'll be fine, considering we, we had a, you know, I got a top four defense last year and one of the best run defenses. I'm not too worried about our linebacker lineback core. Another thing that kind of uh, would make me nervous, and maybe we're nitpicking because it's a good defense, and I would extend this to everywhere outside the offensive skill position, so the, obviously QBs in the O-line also is, there doesn't seem to be a ton of depth anywhere here. We have a lot of, we've had injuries literally in the past couple of days, so I agree with you in that sense that the depth has recently eroded, but I think that in terms of our front four, we've got literally three pro bowlers and Jerry Hughes there, so I'm not too worried there. Even if one of them goes down, he's a solid front uh, front line. For the, the linebacking core, you got Preston Brown and Nigel Bradham, who played well last year. We did lose Kiko Alonso. I think that we have some some decent backups. Uh, for a weak side linebacker, we got Manny Lawson, who's been pretty decent. The depth, it will be, probably will be an issue middle of the year when we, we have more injuries, but, you know, we'll see how, we'll see if that becomes an issue then. Okay, so, you know, you sound pretty confident, but let's jump to the schedule and see, you know, on a week to week basis if, uh, realistically, if, if these are wins or losses. You start with a difficult September, but then the schedule gets a lot easier in October. So, I guess the question is, if you can survive that first month, you, we might know whether this team that actually might even be really serious about competing. So week one, you start at home, Against Andrew Luck and the Colts. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can squeak out a win. I think we're really close, but I think we'll it'll be a win against the Colts. All right. Week one, a big win at home against the Colts. And then yeah. week two, you're playing the Patriots. You know, they, it, it looks like they'll probably be without Brady in this game, but, you know, that's still the, the defending Super Bowl champions, and they're stacked across the field. It's true, but uh, like I said, the AFC has gotten much stronger in oh, in the Bills in particular. I This one I'm not uh, – it's hard to say. It's it's at, it's at in Buffalo. I'm going to say – I'm going to say win. Wow. <laughs> so you're expecting them to come out of the first two weeks against probably the two best teams in the AFC and be 2-0. and That's a lot of confidence. Well, we but that, that, that's, that's classic Buffalo is that they, they come out really strong in the first couple weeks and then they tend not to uh, do very well. Uh, rest of the season. <laughs> All right. Well, week three, your first test on the road. It's in Miami, and this is a game that could have tiebreaker potential as well down the line. I'm going to say by then there's some sort of critical injury and we'll lose. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So two and one, you come back home to face Eli and the Giants. Win. Oh, not even hesitating there. Yeah. Right, so a, a, <laughs> a three and zero home start in Buffalo, and you know I've been to a game in Buffalo years ago, but in recent years their home field advantage has has struggled. You know they they send off a game to Toronto once a year. Let me ask you actually, how do you feel about that Toronto game? 
Well, it's done now. I mean, the, the series has has ended, so they don't have any more Toronto Toronto and, games. Oh, and they're not in discussions of doing it again. No, no, no. They're done. They're done. That that contract uh, was is done. I want to say last year or the year before that. So all the games are now in Buffalo uh, and. Uh, and, you know, you know, it's interesting because we think of that as sort of an indictment of the Bills franchise. But if we remember when I was a kid, and you're about my age, the Packers used to have two games a year in Milwaukee. They'd have six in Lambeau and two in Milwaukee. And they stopped doing that in around the mid-90s or so. But nowadays, the idea that the Green Bay Packers couldn't support eight home games is just laughable. It's insane. You know, like now it's like a legendary home field. So it's really interesting how sort of reputations can change. Pre-Brett Brett Favre, you know, that was not a great franchise for a couple of decades, but now it's like Lambeau Field. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's on the Bills. I think the main thing on the Bills is they weren't really certain if the Bills were going to stay in Buffalo. So the reason why they put them in Toronto was dry run to see if the, the Toronto and the sport, the Bills. And I think the, the answer was definitively no. Um, the games there didn't sell out. They weren't all that well attended. Um, just because it's, one, it's, it's, it's Canada. The, the NFL there, even though it's popular and it's, you know, Toronto, one of the, the larger cities in North America, it's not, it's not the U.S. Hey, man, and, hey man, I got to focus on my Toronto Argonauts. I got my CFL Fantasy League. I don't have time for an NFL team. <laughs> exactly, exactly, man. I mean, yeah, three downs, 120 yards, one-pointers. <laughs> All right, okay, fine. So you're, you're three and one, and then you go on the road again, this time to face probably Marcus Mariota and the Titans. I would say win. Wow, the Bills up to four uh, and one. And then you come home, and this is another tough game. I mean, you know, all four – home game so far are against probably, you know, playoff contenders. This one against the Bengals. But here's I think we'll, we'll probably drop one. I, I think the, the Bills uh, in trouble of form will, will display some sort of inconsistency earlier on in the season, so we'll drop to 4-2. and two. All right, so 4-2, and two, and you were just bragging about the fact that the patriotic Bills are no longer traveling to Canada to play home games. Uh, but now they're going all the way to England to play, although I guess technically this is a road game uh, and a home game for Jackson. <laughs> But uh, what happens in, in the uh, Yahoo Internet game in London? Uh, well, first things first, I'm going to get up at 9 in the morning and watch it because it'll be in England. Uh, but second second thing, I think they're going to destroy the Jaguars. I mean, I don't know what's going on with, with Jacksonville, but I, I don't think that they're going to be uh, – I don't think it's going to be much of a contest. You know, we were discussing on the uh, Jets podcast that – in the Jets-Dolphins game in London, the Jets have a significant advantage in terms of team nickname transportation to London. <laughs> but I think I think with Buffalo-Jacksville, it would be much more neck and neck. Yeah. I guess a Bill drinks a lot of water, so more than, yeah. more than a Jaguar. I don't know. All right. uh, this, is, <laughs> this is going nowhere. But, okay, so you have the Bills at 5-2 and two, coming back from England after the bye. That's a, a very impressive start. And, yeah, you'd be thinking playoffs for the first time in 15 or 16 years. Well, I mean, like I said, don't get lured in. This is classic Buffalo. Buffalo has started out strong, five and one, five and two, and then you know gone on to lost the the vast majority of the of the of the rest of the game. So, I think they'll start strong, but again, mid season they get you know injuries and, and whatnot. We'll see how it goes from there. All right. So the Red Hot Bills, they really have a uh, a one game respite here before a very difficult stretch, a three game road stretch. Uh, host the Dolphins, and uh, do you think they can uh, knock off the Dolphins here after the bye? No, I think they're going to drop against the Dolphins again. So the Dolphins take a sweep against the Bills. Yeah, I think the, the Dolphins might actually. Cause the Dolphins, you know, they they, they got Dominic Sue, and they last year when they played them, it was close. And I think the Dolphins have only gotten better at this point in the season. The, the Bills will start showing their uh, their normal colors. So I, I don't think as much as I'd like to, to even it up against the Dolphins, I think they'll drop it against them. All right. So then at five and three, the second half of the season. Starts with the three-game road swing. 
uh, but even more ridiculously, uh, five road games in six weeks, which is very rare. Two of them prime time. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the, the Bills and Jets, uh, face off in, uh, New Jersey. On three uh, days rest also. Yeah, only three yeah. days rest for both of you guys. Well, I mean, I'm sorry to say I'm, I'm going to be going to this game and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the Bills are going to win this one. It'll be Rex Ryan's return to New York. And, uh, again, primetime game. Of course, I'll be there, so they'll win. You know, I think that's the way I put it. Last time I was there, they won, so I think I might be their lucky charm. <laughs> right, so then it's 6-3, and three, but then you go to New Orleans for Monday Night Football. And I think they'll lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's going to be tough to play Monday Night Football in New England and to, and to pull it off. I mean, Especially if, if you beat them in Week 2 without Brady. Brady's going to throw like eight touchdown passes in this game. Exactly. He's going to come back with a vengeance, and I don't think they can, they're going to be able to handle it. I think it'll be close because Rex Ryan always plays Belichick close, so it'll probably end up like it did last year where they, they lose by like a field goal. But uh, I'd be surprised if, if they lost. I'd be surprised if they, if they, if they swept the Patriots. Uh, and then at 6-4, and four, uh, the rubber match of the uh, three-game road trip is in KC. Win a KC. Wow. At Arrowhead. At Arrowhead. The Bills host the Texans. And I think they're going to drop that out. <laughs> so you come back home and then you lose one. So you're 7-5. and yeah. five. Still in the playoff yeah. race, though. I think J.J. Watt's a monster. It's going to be... Of course, I don't know. E.J. was playing last year. I think Tyrod might do a little better against against the Texans defense, especially with, with Greg Roman. And then, so the uh, NFC East portion of your road schedule so at the Eagles in Washington. This is going to be tough. Chip, uh, I mean, LaShawn going back home. I don't know. This is really tough. I, think, I would say the Bills are just going to pull this one off. They're going to win in Philadelphia? They're going to win in Philly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and that would bring the record to 8-5. and five. Yeah. And then, so really you have a big, big time game in Washington that next week. Yeah. And I think they'll take it. I think, I don't think that, I think that RG3, I mean, he just got a concussion. I don't know. Is it a concussion? Gonna... I thought they said that they hadn't tested him yet or? Yeah, I think it's... Well, I mean, they said they're testing him for a stinger and concussion, but we'll see. I mean, I, I don't think that RG3, you know, per his, uh, declaration is the best quarterback in the league by a long shot. Um, and I think the the Redskins are, are still going to falter this year, so I, I would say we'll take the Redskins. Uh, and then this game, who knows? This could be, you know, flex the Sunday football. This could be a big national game. You know, two-time Super Bowl rematch, Dallas coming to town. I would say they're going to lose. <laughs> they'll, they'll lose against the Cowboys, and uh, it'll be close, though. All right, so then you'd really oh, – so this could be also, you know, you could be playing for the sixth wildcard spot in the last week of the season – uh, and you get the uh, reverse trip where you where you're home against the Jets, and I, I feel like Rex cares more about playing than the Jets, than the Jets do care about playing uh, Rex. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree, and I, I've been to plenty of Week 17 games in Buffalo. They're really, really cold and miserable. It's a good home field advantage, and I think the Bills are going to take it. Wait, Does that mean they make the playoffs? Yeah, I think they make the playoffs wild card 10 and 6. Well, hold on. I need to ask you because you said at the top that if we gave them an average quarterback like an Alex Smith, they'd go 10 and 6. But you have them going 10 and 6 with, with the Tyrod Taylor, Matt Castle, question mark, possible disaster. Yeah. I mean, I think Tyrod's unproven. I think he has the, he has the potential to be a lot better than, than we give him credit. I mean, like I said, he'll fit in very well with Greg Roman's offense and, He's, it's, it's a wild card. He's unproven. We don't know if he's going to live up to his expectations, but I'm, I have, I have, uh, faith that he will. Well, I mean, whatever expectations he has, you know, if you compare him, let's say, to EJ Manuel, who just this time last year was, I mean, EJ Manuel was a first round draft pick. Tyrod Taylor was a sixth round pick. He's never done anything. He's never basically played. He's been, you know, just sitting on the bench of Baltimore for four years. 
So, you know, what reason do you have that you have more confidence in him than you did in, in, in even EJ? Because I just watched the game today. And, <laughs> and Tyrod clearly did more than EJ. I mean, he went five for five in his first drive. Uh, he did the, ran the read option very well. Uh, he was able to elude, you know, um, the pass rush very well. I think that's really what, what's gonna, we're going to need. And EJ, uh, as much as I really wanted him to do really well, he just he just did he didn't pull together. And so so even though he was a first round draft pick, he was in a first round draft pick of a draft cl- of a Kiwi draft class that was not that great. I mean, it was him. Geno Smith, I think that's Foles. Akiva, I think that the key is we have a guest on right after their team has a uh, preseason game. Oh yeah, and especially if they win the preseason game. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Then you got a recency bias in that direction, I guess. But it totally depends. You know, if you had a Washington fan on right now, he would be like, "It's over. We're not even going four and twelve. RG three is going to be dead." But you know, by the way, why did RG three play four drives in that game? Uh, uh, I, I mean, is Gruden tr- is he trying to injure him? I mean, it, it makes no sense. Um, but anyways, you know, uh, let's you know, let's focus on the Bills. Dale Hodge, again, thanks for joining us today. A uh, a very confident Bills fan, season going ten and six, which would be their best season in literally the millennium, and um, it would it would vault them back into the playoffs. And probably as the last wild card, so they probably have a first round game, you know, maybe against against the Colts or the Broncos or, or maybe maybe the Ravens or somebody from that division. But uh, thanks again for joining us, and um, good luck this season. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks a lot, Dale. So Akiva, Dale is very optimistic about the Bills. We had a twenty two, and if I had to guess, I would say that our guest for the Dolphins is going to be at least as confident. I mean, someone has to be bad in the AFC East, right? They can't all go twelve and four, and I know the Jets aren't going to be bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even I mean, I think that uh, several teams have to go under 500 because we got to assume that the AFC North is going to have at least three out of four teams over 500. The AFC South is garbage, but the West, the Broncos, of course, are going to be good, and and, and the Chiefs and, and Chargers both think they're making the playoffs. So, you know, the the middle of that AFC might be deeper than we thought if uh, if our if our local fans are correct about a lot of these squads. But um, you know, on that note, let's let's turn right to the Dolphins. Special guest Ellie Gray. Ellie, how are you today? Good. How are you doing? We are excellent. And I have to tell you that the Dolphins, Akiva and I, had in the exact same spot in our preseason rankings. We both had them exactly 19th. The way the averages work out, uh, one team jumps ahead of them. So in our consensus rankings, they're actually 20th. But Akiva and I are pretty much in complete agreement on where this team sits going into the season. So right off the bat, we'll ask you, what do you think about a team being ranked 20th preseason? I mean, preseason, the rankings are based on last season, which obviously, you know, is a good barometer. But with all the movement that goes on in the NFL and any given Sunday, it really is, you know, I, I'm fine with ranking them 20th because that's about where they were last year. But, you know, as always, I'm optimistic about the season. Yep. And it's interesting. One, I remember in the late 90s, in the early Bill Simmons era, he made a joke once. He said that the Miami Dolphins collapse. Is like Hanukkah or Hanukkah to our Jewish listeners in that um, every year it's coming sometime between Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, but nobody knows exactly when. And I've looked at the, uh, the past three years under Coach Philbin, and it seems like that has become reality again in Miami. The last three years, they've started a combined 19 and 12. And then from that point forward in each of the seasons, they've ended 4 and 13, including last year when they ended 1 and 5. And the end result is a team that, going into the fourth year with this coach, they have the exact same winning percentage that they had under Sperano, the previous coach. So uh, Sperano got fired midway through his fourth year. Do you see this as a make-or-break year for Philbin? 
It definitely is a make or break year, you know, as any head coach, even the ones that win all the time, at some point you reach the breaking point where the team's no longer listening. If you're not winning and not making the playoffs, that comes earlier. And with this being the fourth year for Philbin, it's definitely a make or break year. Ellie, I want to talk about Ryan Tannehill because I don't think people realize just how good he was last year. It, you know, his completion percentage jumped a tremendous amount to, you know, he completed two thirds of his passes last year. He threw for over 4,000 yards. Uh, interceptions went down from 17 to 12, even though he played, I think, every snap of the season. And he threw 27 touchdowns. Uh, and, he th- and he ran for 300 yards, by the way. So, you know, when we talk uh, to fans of some of the worst teams that we've spoken to so far, and we say, like, hey, your roster looks pretty good, but if you didn't have, you know, uh, Matt Castle as your quarterback or whoever, uh, you know, if you had a league average quarterback, like Alex Smith or Ryan Tannehill were the examples I gave the other night, then you you would be a good team. But you know, really, the more I looked into uh, the Dolphins last season, and Tannehill in particular, uh, Tannehill's not a league-average quarterback, or, or is he? Where, where do you think Tannehill stands right now? Tannehill every year, Tannehill to me right now is on the Matt Ryan trajectile. He's improved every single year. His numbers are getting better. Obviously, Ryan has the better wide receivers, but the Dolphins did upgrade that position for Tannehill this year. The only area of concern where Tannehill hasn't gotten better every year is his deep ball and the long passes. So far, the report's out of training camp is that he's doing much better on those, which should open him up more. But like you said, he is much better than most people think. He is not a league average quarterback. He's been getting better every single year, and his numbers show that. And this should be a a great leap again for him, especially with the new receivers that they put around him, drafting Devontae Parker in the first, adding a veteran in Greg Jennings, and bringing Kenny Stills. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. He's not as mediocre as some people think, he's actually much better. Yeah, you mentioned the pieces he has around him. Uh, and with the exception of Lamar Miller, it seems like pretty much every skill position guy on the Dolphins is new this year. They, they shipped out uh, Moreno and Mike Wallace and Brandon Gibson and Brian Hartline and Charles Clay, and they brought in, I think the premier piece is probably Jordan Cameron, who, when healthy, is one of the best tight ends in the league. But at receiver, I, I'm very unimpressed with what they did. You mentioned Greg Jennings positively. I can tell you being a Minnesota fan – Greg Jennings has had a fork sticking out of him for the last two or three seasons. And and even if Mike Wallace quit, quitting Mike Wallace is about Greg Jennings' ceiling at this point. Uh, and Kenny Stills is a guy who certainly has potential, but but he, he never really established himself in New Orleans with Drew Brees throwing to him. So do you really see a lot of improvement at the receivers this year? The the thing I will point out with Greg Jennings is, of course, he's not he's not an elite wide receiver, but I think he's an upgrade based on what they had last year, even with Mike Wallace. Because Wallace was not on page with everyone else, he was always demanding the ball. He was trying to undermine Tannehill and, you know, with the, in a new offense. But the thing with Greg Jennings is you look when he was playing with a quarterback that is actually good and, and, you know, Tannehill is training that way like a Aaron Rodgers. Obviously Tannehill is not even close to Rodgers and probably won't get close to Rodgers, but he is much better than any of the quarterbacks that Minnesota has had in the past few years. So I think Jennings is not elite, like you said, and you know, to you, when you saw him on Minnesota, he wasn't great, but he does have potential to be a solid receiver. The real thing with the Dolphins this year is the draft pick of Devontae Parker. He is going to probably start as a fourth or fifth receiver, but the point, the, the goal is for him to be the number one target for Tannehill by the end of the season to have him majorly involved in the offense, as well as you have Jarvis Landry, his second year 
coming into the league and you saw, I mean, people didn't realize what he did. He's very similar to Odell Beckham and what the Giants have in Beckham. Beckham got a lot more popular and famous because of his catch, but Landry has had crazy catches himself and is very similar to what Beckham is. So the Dolphins, I think their, their wide receiver core was improved based on last year. And you have Landry who's more comfortable in the offense a second year and Tannehill's second year in Bill Lazor's offense. So I do think the offense is improved. Yeah, and you mentioned Odell Beckham, and it, it's a good point because with rookie wide receivers, it's always hard to project which guy breaks out and which guy takes a season or two to get his legs under him. Odell Beckham Jr. obviously took the league by storm last year, and you just compared Jarvis Landry to him, actually. But you mentioned that you think that by the end of the year, Parker might be the number one target on the Dolphins. But what's his ceiling? Like, who do you think his comp could be if things work out this year? I mean, like you said, this year as a rookie, you know, it's hard to tell what he can be. But he can, to me, he can become a very reliable target for Tannehill and, and something that they can build on themselves as, as far as, you know, opening up Bill Lazor's offense and, and really making this a team that can start scoring and not just settling for field goals. Uh, in terms of the offensive line, it, it seems like it's a mixed bag because obviously Pouncey is one of the elite players in the league and Brandon Albert's a very solid left tackle, but... Uh, Juwan James sometimes seems like a, a turnstile. What do you think about the uh, the guard position and the right tackle spot? Where are you guys I mean, there? No, their line, other than posi- the positions you mentioned, that is they're going to be their big weakness is guard, and it's it's very hard to tell now what they have. They have young players are trying to work in. They have not been impressive yet in camp. Uh, we'll obviously see how they play in the preseason games that are coming up. But it's also, to me, it's a little harder to tell how good your guard play is in camp now because you have Ndamukong Suh lining up against them. So any rookie guard coming in or second or third year guard coming in that's still getting his feet is going to look foolish when they're lining up against him every single play. And, and you know, even C.J. Mosley, who they signed to play aside uh, Ndamukong Suh, you got Cameron Wake. So it to me, the guards obviously are an issue, you know, issue. There's talks of them bringing in Evan Mathis, which obviously hasn't happened yet. But I, I want to see them, wait to see them play in preseason games when they're going up against other talent because it's hard to judge them based on their play when they're lining up against such elite front four as the Dolphins have. You mentioned Domkin Sue in that revamped defensive line, so let's jump right there. We we made reference to the fact that the Dolphins collapsed down the stretch last season, uh, going 1-5, and five, and I think the primary culprit for that collapse was the defense, which really got destroyed and gave up, I think, 35-plus points in four of those games. And they went ahead and they signed Sue. And I don't think the, the, the issue is whether or not it's an overpay, because with free agents, by definition, you always overpay, because, you know, you pay more than the 31 other teams are willing to do. But I guess the question is, the track record for, for signing defensive tackle free agents is not good. Obviously, there's Albert Hainsworth, but, but even going further back, and, and even, frankly, when you look at defensive ends, you have Mara Williams, who's been good in Buffalo, but he's not a guy who turned the team into a, into a serious contender. I think the last defensive lineman that joined a team in free agency that, that made that kind of an effect was, was Reggie White when free agency was first invented. So do you think that, that Sue is enough to turn this defense from, from mediocre to elite? I believe so because the, the thing is you have to look at who they're pairing him with on the front four. You have Cameron Wake also there who now is going to need, you know, they're going to need to double team one of those guys and it leaves the other person open with single coverage. So those two can get to the quarterback even with double coverage. You put one of them up on single coverage in certain plays, it's going to be very effective at rushing the quarterback, you know, 
dropping, you know, making the line where the running of the other team is, is harder and getting to the quarterback faster. So I really do like the upgrade, especially with who they paired him with and CJ Mosley. You drafted Jordan Phillips, which a lot of people has one of the steals as a draft. So their defensive line is much improved. It's going to make the rest of their defense look much better because of the pressure they can get to their quarterback, to the opposing quarterbacks, as well as the opposing running backs. Yeah, but, and also don't forget Olivier Vernon. I think that he had like six or seven sacks last year, and the year before that he had double-digit sacks. So he's also a guy who can get to the quarterback, and he'll probably facing be facing a lot of single coverage this season. Right. There, there is, you could legitimately say that all four of the four on their front four are people that, you know, if they were on another team that didn't have a stronger front four would be players that would be double teamed. And here you've got four in Sue, Mosley, Wake, and Vernon. So it's going to give opposing offenses a lot of trouble. So where do you think the weakness, if there is one, is on the defense? I mean, their linebackers aren't set right now. It's, it's not sure where Koamisi is going to play and who's going to fill around him. Middle linebacker could could be a worry. If Misi is not there, you have to stick in another player. So the linebackers are the positions right now, and as well as the, the other, you know, you've got Brent Grimes as a cornerback, obviously, but the rest are players that you're going to ask to, you know, not sure what their ceiling is, what their potential is, and cornerbacks other than Brent Grimes are going to be something to watch. We look uh, more big picture Miami Dolphins stuff. You guys haven't won a playoff game since 2000 at this point. First, I, I like asking this to fans of teams who haven't had success in a while. What's the best Dolphins moment of this century so far? I mean, there haven't, to, to me, since I hate the Jets, it's every time we beat the Jets. But, you know, there's not <laughs> one moment that I can point to. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, most of our seasons have been, you know, just looking forward to beating your divisional opponents and just taking that as your, your season and what's successful. But, you know, once you're not making the playoffs. Most of the other moments don't really matter. You mentioned your divisional opponents. I was thinking about the Dolphins and trying to think back the last iconic Dolphins moment that I can remember. I was trying to think, when's the last time that this team was a serious contender? For example, when's the last time that they won 12 games? And I realized they haven't done that in 25 years. And with with the Bills, who sort of dominated the division in the 90s, and then the Patriots, who have done so since then, and then you have the Jets with, with their woe is me fans and the New York media, the Dolphins really kind of get forgotten a lot. Do you think that with Tom Brady's suspension, probably for the first four games, and, and Buffalo and the Jets both maybe improving but still without a real quarterback, do you, do you think this is the year that the Dolphins can reclaim that division? I would like to hope so, but like you said, you know, till somebody can unseat the Patriots, that, that you've got to assume they're the favorites, even though Brady's going to be out for, you know, it looks like the first four weeks. Till some team unseats the Patriots, you've got to say that they're the favorites. I like what the Dolphins have done in the offseason, I like their chance to compete for it, but, you know, we'll see what happens. All right, so let's start to look at the schedule for a second then. You talked about, you know, Tom Brady's out for the first four weeks, and the Dolphins' schedule is really set up, really the first six weeks, I think, where if they can really build a little cushion there, if, if the Patriots struggle out of the gate uh, without Tom Brady, the Dolphins might have a two- or even three-game edge, possibly, if things work out well, which would allow them, notwithstanding their, their traditional December collapse, to, to maybe really compete at least a wild card down, down the stretch. So let's let's jump right into the schedule and see what I'm talking about. In week one, you're on the road, but you travel to Washington. Like you said, the, the keys are going to be taking care of the business in the first four weeks. You know, the two in the first four, are, you know, we got we'll start off at Washington, then at Jacksonville. Those are two very winnable games, teams that didn't do that great last year. 
And the keys are going to be in those four, first four weeks are getting the two divisional wins in Buffalo and, and New York so that not only are you getting a, an advantage in the win column, but you're also gaining an advantage in the divisional column while those, you know, Brady is out so that you could give yourself distance. Yeah. So as you said, you know, those are four games, all of those at Washington, at Jacksonville and then at home against both the Bills and the Jets. Those are all four winnable games. But, you know, realistically, what, what do you think the record's going to be going into that bye week in week five? Realistically, I, I would say, you, based on last year, you would say three and one just based on, on the improvements. You know, it, it, would it shock me if they're two and two? No, anything, anything less than two and two is a disaster, obviously, no matter who you're playing. But three and one is very, you know, very probable with those first four games. Okay, so then you have the early bye, which is never great, but I think that's because you play the uh, the London game so early, right, on October 4th with the Jets. All right, so then after the bye, you guys go to Tennessee. To Tennessee, you know, obviously Tennessee unsettled with who their quarterback's going to be if Mariota wins the job, which it's looking like he will. They're going to give him the job, a rookie quarterback. I would say the Dolphins win that one based on what they'll be able to do pressure-wise on a rookie quarterback. So you guys would be 4-1. Four, four what's your, what's your opinion about, about Mariota? He obviously is coming from Oregon where it's a lot of people say it's just a college-type system and are uncertain whether he'll be able to translate it into the pros. I think I don't think he'll be one of those quarterbacks that's a first-year success right out of the gate. I think it'll take him time if he does adjust to the NFL and, and could become a competent NFL quarterback. It's it's one of those that is going to take time. I don't see him being a success right out of the gate. Yeah, so then you guys host another team with a very unsettled quarterback uh, situation, and that's the Texans. Right. The Texans are very unsettled at quarterback, but their, their receiver, you've got Dondre Hopkins. So you, even if you get a, a mediocre quarterback in there, you, you've got a good receiving core for him, and you've got a, a stud at uh, – running back in Arian Foster, even though there's some injury issues. But Houston, a home game, is it's very winnable. I, I don't know if you can – if the quarterback position is as wonky as it is right now, I would say that's a win at home. Then you guys have a really interesting road swing. You have the, uh, the I think, that last CBS Thursday night game in New England. And then you have two more road games after that. But let's start with the Patriots. What do you well, think? The, the way that that Ellie looks at them, they could be five and one coming into that game against the team that's dominated that division for 15 years, and they have three days to prepare for it. That's a Thursday night game right after that Houston game, which actually might raise the question of if they're looking forward ahead on the schedule and they overlook the Texans and they lose that one. But um, that's going to be probably Thursday nights have not had good luck for the NFL this year. But I would imagine that the Dolphins at five and one or even at four and two against New England with an angry Tom Brady back on the field. That's going to be an exciting game. It most definitely will be an exciting game. And, and like you said, it's very hard to predict these Thursday night games because both teams are coming off of short rest. Uh, Brady will still possibly be get, you know, will be back then Thursday night at New England. The Dolphins have always played New England well, but at New England you would have to assume that they're going to lose that game. All right, so and then you bounce back. You have 10 days to prepare for your first uh trip to Rex Ryan's Buffalo Bills? Yeah, I mean, that that's also probably a loss at Buffalo, just based on the way the Dolphins have played at Buffalo recently. Buffalo has played the Dolphins very well. You know, it could be different with under the Rex Ryan regime, but I would say that that's probably a loss at Buffalo. And that would that would bring you to 5-3 and three at the halfway point, and then you conclude the three-game road swing with the game at Philadelphia. A win. I, I mean, I really You're not don't. buying the Chip Kelly stuff? I'm not buying any of his prediction stuff, but... um, <laughs> Leave that in, would, Alex. <laughs> we're, we're two months away from, you know, oh, come on. Listen, uh, first of all, if you heard some of the earlier segments, you would agree. To, you, If you were our producer, you'd say keep this in because we have some gold in the schedule. Stuff. 
I, I agree. The schedule is it's. I, I stand by what I said with the preview of what the team did in the off season, but going week to week, I, I don't know how it's gonna go. Ellie, you're not a lawyer, are you? I am not. No, I'm... The, the number one rule in law school is you don't fight the hypothetical. <laughs> Living in our hypothetical world, let's just close out the schedule. Then you're six and three, old think Cowboys. Cowboys at home is a win. Oh wow! So then you guys would really be uh, the, the talk of the town. Seven and three going to your. Uh, who's your biggest rival? The, the Jets or the Patriots? As far not, as not you, if on, you ask the organization, as far as on the field, it's definitely. I mean, the Patriots. Uh, you can't even consider any any other team. The Jets have been uh, as big a joke as the Dolphins have been in the past few years, if not uh, for sure more. But you have two teams that are mediocre. It's definitely not the Jets that are their biggest rival. As far as fans are concerned, it, yeah, then it's a legit. Then it's a legitimate argument that it's the Jets. But mm-hmm. as far as football goes, it's the Patriots. But, as so a fan, your biggest rival and, and, and who, who you're smacking talk with the most, you know, talking talk smack with the most is definitely the Jets and the team that you, you love to beat is the Jets. But if you're talking about football perspective, it's definitely the Patriots. All right. So then, uh, are, are you going to go to eight and three by beating the Jets in New York? I, yes. The way the Jets are and the way that they've got a guy at quarterback who thinks he's been mediocre the past few years when at, when at best he's been awful. Uh, I, that, that's definitely. Hey, he played really well against the Dolphins the last game of the season. Uh, okay. Yeah, that, that was the 300 yard three touchdown no interception game, right? Akeem? Yeah, first first Jet ever to do that. Well, yeah. So our stats department looked it up. Seven times the Jets have done it, but it's the first time since 1991. Oh, uh, yeah. No, sorry, I had that. Yeah, it was sorry, Browning Nagel. Yeah, yeah. So you guys actually closed with a really uh, great schedule, especially for an eight and three team. You have the coldest game you guys play in December or January is Miami. Is a home game because the, your only road game is in San Diego. You have four home games out of five. Yeah, but Akiva, this is a team. They've had an identical home and road record uh, under Philbin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they certainly don't have. Uh, I don't. You like can can quibble with this, but in my opinion, they have one of the worst home field advantages in the league. Uh, well, the home field advantage is different based on the time of the year that it is. As far as fans go, yes, it's not a great home field advantage. But when you look at games, if they can get games early, the home the early home games. The fact that they close out with so many on the ro- home games later in the year is not a good sign for the Dolphins. You want the home games earlier in the year so that when it's hot and really hot outside, that's when your opposing teams come in and wilt under the sun. The fact of losing one to the Jets is not good. Officially a home game, it will be in London. So, yes, this year I'd agree with you, the home field advantage is not really that much. Well, Ellie, let me ask you a question for a second about the home field. It's an axiom in the NBA that the reason that he'd have such a great home field advantage is because these guys get into town, they hit South Beach, and they're playing on weak legs because they've been out drinking till you know four a.m. the night before. And I'm not. Are you watching Ballers on HBO? I am watching Ballers on HBO. It certainly has its flaws, but the narrative that it that it presents is that the, the football is the same way that all these guys go to Miami and and they get their party on. And so I'm just wondering why is it that that the Dolphins don't get that benefit or even that perceived benefit to the way that the Heat do? I don't think it's so. You know that that perception is so much in the middle of the football season, it would be more, you know, the coaches are very structured as far as when they're coming to town, what type of curfew the players are on. I would think that the ballers is more based off of the off season and what's going on with basketball. You don't have that. That's why you have the perceived home court advantage like that for the heat, even though numerically and statistically and and logically, the reason is more so because of the general home court advantage that teams have and not really so much that, and that's really much more of a narrative. But with football, I wouldn't say that that's the case because of the way that the teams are structured where as you're coming into town, your schedule is laid out for you, you have curfews, you can't miss those curfews, 
I would not say that that's part of the effect for the Dolphins or any NFL team. Right, so, Ellie, let's rip through these last five games now. You guys are 8-5. and five. You host what, the we, Ravens. We, what do you think about that? Can we do this again and do this as a probability? I'll be much better that way. I hear. I, we have to record the Jets in like five minutes. Like if you want to say like I think they well, have. I can ex- do the Jets for you quickly. Loss, loss, <laughs> loss, loss, loss. In loss, loss, loss. Uh, I, I wish I could stay in. The problem is that the narr- you know the Jets podcast seemed to be released like four days before the Dolphins. <laughs> That's so. fine. Who cares? <laughs> let people see behind the curtain. All right. So let, let, if you don't mind, let's just rip through. You can get more wins if you want. I don't care. Uh, but they they host the Ravens. They're eight and three. That would be a huge game. Ravens could be six and five or seven and four, fighting for that playoff spot. That's a thirty five percent probability of a win. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna call a loss. Anything under fifty percent, we're calling a loss. Correct. So eight and four, and then you host the Giants on Monday Night Football. Uh, what do you think the Giants' record is gonna be right then after twelve games? Oof. After twelve games, I'd put them. Um... You want to run through their schedule? Eight, 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 eight and seven, six and six, seven, seven and five, probably for the Giants. Okay, so that's a really big Monday night game. Even though you know, even though ESPN got punished for Bill Simmons, they still got a few decent games in there. The hard part for the Dolphins in that game is going to be that it's at home, you know, which is going to be rough because. Miami has a lot of New Yorkers, and New Yorkers. Oh yeah, that's not that's gonna be a home game for the Giants. Uh, yeah, in all likelihood it will be. So yeah, Eli's, Eli's usually better on the road than he is at home. That's true. That's true. They're gonna be booing Eli. <laughs> well, they boo Eli no matter what. You know, yeah. um, I, I would say that's a loss for the Dolphins. Oh wow! All right, so the reeling Dolphins now at eight and five. Yeah, as we said, it's the tradition in December. Contra yeah, must they, fall around December sixth or so this year. I mean, you guys are closing with Flacco, uh, Flacco, Manning, Rivers. Uh, Luck Brady. Not easy. So you guys go to San Diego the next week. San Diego, I would say it would be a, a win. All right, so you guys keeping alive. 9-5, uh, maybe fighting for the division, but definitely up there for a playoff spot. And then you host Andrew Luck and the Colts on December 27th. Let's go with a tie, just because we're <laughs> oh, predicting please. anyway. Why not? What the heck? <laughs> I'm loving this. So... Uh, that brings you to nine five and By one. Way, the, be, the, the, best, the best part of the tie is it virtually guarantees that there won't be a tie atop the division, unless you see right. that the Patriots also pulling off. Yeah, the are tie. you going to also predicting a tie for the Patriots then? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay, so now we have the ten four and one Patriots against the nine five and one Dolphins. Oh, but so this game is getting moved to Sunday night. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the division's on the line if the Dolphins can pull it off. Yeah, and then we tie that game too. So <laughs> oh, really, so you guys, you guys are out. You're missing. You're missing the playoffs. Where does yeah. nine five and two get you the sixth wild card? Seventh wild card. I think they're going to add it in the middle of the season. <laughs> is this a, we need uh, the hot only, take only alert. The NBA does that. Yeah, changing rules mid season. Look, I, I've been on board for the seventh wild, the seventh playoff team for many years. And if, if we can throw that hot take alert up, warning: hot take approaching. It's silly to me that in the NFL, the biggest distinction is between the second best team and the third best team. The goal should always be to be number one, not to be number two. I think there should only be one bye. I think that the two should play the seven. You have three games on each of Saturday and Sunday of the first round. It also would be more equitable because ever since they moved to the four-division format, every single year there's been a team with a better record out of the playoffs than one of the division winners. Last year, for example, was Carolina who went 7-8-1. and one. In previous seasons, we've seen other teams like the Broncos with Tebow. It would, I think it would, the, the Seahawks that year when they went 7-9 and beat New Orleans at home, it seems to me that if you added another wild card team, it would it would mean less teams resting down the stretch because there'd be more teams vying for for playoff positioning. The teams at the top would have to be playing more because again, the second team wouldn't be locked into a bye. You know be- what you just did, Alex? Yeah. You just saved Week 17 fantasy. 
oh, it would be better in every respect. I cannot fathom why the league doesn't do it. it All right, we're going to have to bring this up. Yeah, it, 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 and honestly, it blows my mind. There's not a single negative to it. You know, it, it's better for coaches and, and players and, and teams and fans for more teams to be in the playoffs. What's the argument against it? I love it. All right, so... Well, uh, devil's advocate. Tell me, what's the argument against it? Yeah, I think uh, th- there is no good argument. I, I think they just need to have the package open. It's tough to... They're hesitant to do the triple headers, which they would need on Sundays. And college football is very angry about them taking over some of those spots uh, by moving to Monday because they're not willing to move to Friday. So it would have but, but, to be hold, Saturday. No, but hold on. But this is in January. The college football season's over. No, not that first weekend. Yeah. It's exa- this is exactly the hang-up. The national championship game is that Monday night. All right, so that's the one game. And they won't move it off. This is They've already had this argument. So that's why they can't push one of them off to Monday. And why I, I they, think so. And why I, I don't they, know why they're not willing to do a triple header, yeah, but I also, they also have o'clock. to sell the package. It's like you have it more when the packages all go up. I do think that this is going to happen very soon. I, I agree. And it's better, you know, fans like it when their teams make the playoffs. Uh, you, people aren't going to like it when a 17 beats a two seed. Well, the other thing that I think they should do, and, you know, I think in the NBA they should do this as well, is I'm okay with the division winner automatically making the playoffs. But I think the division winners should be seeded based on their record. So if Carolina goes 7-8-1, and one, or the Tebow Broncos go 8-8, eight and eight, or the, 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 the Seahawks that year go 7-9, and nine, all right, you made the playoffs, congratulations, but you don't get a home game against an 11 and 5 or 12 and 14 because it's absurd that the wild card, the first wild card has to go on the road against a much worse team and they have to deal with home field advantage and those weaker, those, those below 500 division winners have won that game in almost every circumstance. The Broncos beat the Steelers and that Tebow in, in the overtime. Marshawn Lynch had that crazy run to beat the Saints. And then, of course, last year, Carolina beat the Cardinals, who had no quarterback standing by that point in the season. But it's unfair that a team that goes 11-5 and or 12-4 and or at the worst 10-6 and has to go on the road against a team that couldn't even get to 500. So I think that the solution would be that if you reseed based on schedule, then the seven seed is a team that might have won the division but might have been 8-8, eight and eight, like this year maybe the winner of the NFC South. Or, or, and if that's the case, then there's less of a concern. And again, the number two seed is complaining about having to play in the first round. Well, then don't rest your players. Play all the way to the end and try and get that one seed. You know, That's more exciting football for everybody. All right. I don't know what that do with the Dolphins, but well said. All right. So, Eli, we're going 9-5-2. and two. Are you guys making the playoffs? I think the Dolphins will make the playoffs this year, yes. All right, so let's predict the playoffs. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that nine five and two, I think you're going to New England. I think the Dolphins will make the playoffs this year. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, look, nine five and Very two. Very Nine five and two is equivalent to ten and six. Ten and six, you have to assume, is going to make the playoffs. The a- the AFC North teams, Pittsburgh and Baltimore, and Cincinnati have beaten up on each other. It's unlikely that all three of them are going to win double digit games again this year. One of them drops to nine and seven, and then. You know, who else are you really dealing with? I guess maybe San Diego, possibly. You know, there's not – the top of the AFC is very, very good in Denver and New England and, of course, Indianapolis. But I think that the the middle of that – of the AFC is is very weak. So I think that if the Dolphins can get to to 10-6 and or or the 9-5-2 equivalent, they're pretty much a lock to make the playoffs. Yeah, I I think, you know, even if this is not the year where they overtake the Patriots, and like I said, till that actually happens, I'd be skeptical to actually predict that it would because they've done it year after year and you've always hoped that they would topple the Patriots off the top, but they haven't as of yet, so till they do that. But like you said, the hope, the optimism this year for the Dolphins is the middle of that pack and being able to get that wild card slot because the middle of the AFC is so up for grabs. All right, so there you have it. Uh, this has been a very 
unusual podcast today, and, and thank you to our guest, Eli Gray, for joining. We've had a couple of ties on the Dolphins' schedule. We've had a, a hot take about a third wildcard team. Uh, if you're interested in following Eli for more of his perspective, his perspective is Gray, as is his last name, and on Twitter he's Gray Perspective. Gray with an A, is that correct? That's correct. Well, thank you again to Ellie for joining us. Have a good weekend, and next week we'll be back with some NFC contenders, including the Lions, the Panthers, the Vikings, the Rams, and the New York Giants. Have a good weekend. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.